Thank you so much, Tyler. Let's pray, okay? Father, thank you very much for the privilege today of being in your house of worship uh, for the purpose of leading you leading us, Father, on. We want to make your name big. I want to thank you for Dave and the way you orchestrated the Holy Spirit, our worship. We thank you for that name that is above every name. And as we think even the words, gentle Savior, lead us on. Father, we pray that, that, God, we will surrender and allow you to do that. I know across this room today, I know some of the circumstances, Father, that are very, very difficult and very hard. And you're that gentle Savior who will, again, as David said, either walk us through or deliver us from every storm and every situation. And I honestly believe what we talk about today is just a real key role in that. So, Holy Spirit, here's what I'm asking. I'm asking first that you would find an environment here where you could talk to our hearts. I pray if there's anything even right now that someone needs to address in this room to make that possible, that they'll do so. Holy Spirit, find an environment where you can work. And then, Father, Holy Spirit, we pray that you'll just speak to the hearts of people. Reveal your word, not even as I intend, but as you intend to each person here. And Father, whether we've been a Christian a long, long, long time or just a short period of time, help us to agree to the terms of surrender. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, we are just so glad that you are here today. Thank you for coming out. We got a good group. I didn't know with the forecast. Um, you know, I, I talked to God. I said, hey, God, now I don't know what the crowd's going to be like today, but we're not concerned with numbers. I know you're going to place the people here that you want here. And apparently, a lot of y'all are supposed to be here today. So thank you so much for coming. We're excited about that. We are in week number two of a sermon series that we're calling The Magnificent Seven. And, and the core theme of it is surrender. We're going to look at, starting next week, seven points of surrender. And last week, we looked at how what a de- depraved people we are outside of the grace of God, that we are just sinners, and there's nothing we can do about that but receive what Jesus Christ had already done. So that was where we spent our time last week, and today we want to talk about the terms of surrender. I appreciate so much Brother Brent arranged me to have a large white flag, and you'll be seeing that over the next today and plus seven more weeks as we look at what it means to surrender to God. These seven points of surrender. Now, let me introduce the message by telling you about a surrender that occurs quite frequently um, in my family. Um, I, I think probably my granddaughter Hope started this, but somewhere along the way, um, I became the pawpaw of choice to be fought with. Um, we fight quite regularly. Um, Hope, when she was young, Hope is a girl, but boy, she's got some fight in her. And so she would come and she would punch and jump and, and just all kind of things. It was just crazy. And then Ethan came along. And, you know, Ethan up to about age two, you know, was, was you know, like a two-year-old, you know. And, and then all of a sudden, he got introduced to Captain America and the Hulk and, and Iron Man. And all of a sudden, the, the intensity ramped up. I think those Testron things got fired up in him. Okay, and so so we started wrestling and now he comes up to me and he says, Papa, can we fight? I mean, now he's four. Is he four? Is that right? Do I have that right? He's four years old. And so and so we fight. We, we wrestle. We have a great time. I mean, it gets intense, though. And then the final straw that broke the camel's back was Ninja Turtles. 
Hello, can I have a witness? I mean, I'm talking about, we were watching, he said, he was at my house the other night, he said, Papa, can we go up and watch Ninja Turtles? I said, okay. So we got YouTube out, and we're watching all the, and I'm watching him, and he's at the foot of the bed, boy, and I, well, I really can't do it, to be honest with you, but he's kicking like this, you know. Well, there went the sermon. Okay, but, but he's kicking like this and kung fu and karate and all this stuff. I mean, he's into it. And so then he comes over and wants to do that with me. Well, when he was two, I came out pretty good. When he's four, I don't do so well. In fact, we had to outlaw gut punches. You know, I would be sitting there watching television. I'd walk up and go, bam, in my gut. I'm going, now listen, I've got abs. I just can't find them. Okay? <laughs> but, but anyway, so I go, oh, so finally I said, Ethan, you've got to stop that. That's just not, that's not fair. But the good news is, I'm still bigger than he is. And so, so at some point in the, in the wrestling match, you know, he's jumping and all this stuff is going on. Sometimes Hope still joins in. I will reach over and embrace him in a, in a bear hug like this and put my leg over his legs. I got him. He's not going anywhere. And so just for fun, I'll tickle him a little bit, you know, get him all fired up. And he goes, Papa, stop, Papa. And then, and then I'll say, okay, are you going to be a good boy? And he says, yes. The man lies. Okay? He lies. But, but he says, yes. And I say, are you sure? Yes, Papa, I will, I will. And so I let him go. But he has to agree to the terms of surrender. Are you going to be a good boy? Now, I need to be honest with you. He probably does what we do a lot with God. God, I promise. And he doesn't really keep his word too well because he wants to fight some more because he's a boy. And that's what boys do. But he agrees to the terms of surrender. Well, here's the deal. As I was looking last week, because this was the final point in last week's message, I realized that's exactly what this prayer is. It's God laying out the terms of surrender as they play out in the life of every believer. So today we're going to look at Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, and we're going to look at what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer and we're going to look at, uh, actually, we're going to look at Matthew slash Luke's version of it. Now let me tell you why I say that. Luke, and as far as we can tell from the earliest man, earlier manuscripts, um, probably this was a separate occasion entirely, but Luke left out a few of the things. Well, I probably didn't leave them out. Probably it was a different teaching, and this is what Jesus said at that time, which shows that Jesus didn't have this rote prayer, that, that he had something different. Well, the King James and New King James, and probably a couple of the other translations, for ease of reading, reaches back over to Matthew chapter uh, 5 or chapter 6 and gets that copy of the Lord's Prayer, probably the original one, and kind of blends the two. So if in your translation of the Bible, there's some things on the screen today and you're going, but that's not in my Bible, well, keep in mind that the New King James translators and the King James and some of the others blended Matthew's account and Luke's account and came up with what we're going to look up today. Now, if you want to, if it'll make you feel better, you can go over to Matthew and you can just look there because, again, what we're going to see today in Luke is almost exactly what is in Matthew also. So, so we want to look today then at these terms of surrender and how they play out. And you're going to find it very incredible. Now, there's also something else you need to know. I understand that this is familiar. And my greatest fear is there's some person here who's been in church like 800 years. And they're going to go, oh, heard this before. And you're going to be worried about what you're going to have for dinner. Or, or what time the football game comes on or something like that. And that's why I prayed what I prayed this morning. That the Holy Spirit would give each one of us, whether we've been saved uh, 100 years or whether we've been saved two weeks, that God will give us something fresh and new to take home from the teaching of His Word. Because personally, I feel that, that this is a very, very important message. Now, what I've done this morning 
If you have a sermon sheet, and you've got one up there in your, in your bulletin today, if you look at the sermon sheet, you can see I've made an acrostic, okay, out of the word prayer. For instance, we have the priority of prayer. We have prayer involving relationship. We have prayer involving adoration. We have prayer involving a yielding of, of ourselves. We have prayer involving experience, and I'll explain that. And then finally, we have a prayer that involves reliance. So we're going to do, and this is a real good teaching tool. The Jews did this a lot. So, so it's not just a ploy. I'm really hoping that somewhere the word prayer will, will invoke in our minds memory of what we were taught today. But it starts with priority. Priority. First, let me just ask this question. So, so what do you think? Now, don't give me the Baptist answer. And, and in fact, this is rhetorical. What do you think of prayer? How, really, how important is prayer? Now, just, just analyze that in your mind. And you can probably tell how important prayer is to you by how much a chunk of time, or not really time, how, what is the frequency of prayer in your life? Um, somewhere, somewhere beyond God is great and God is good. Give us, you know, thank you, Lord, for the state of food. You know, somewhere beyond that, you can probably tell the priority of prayer by how frequently it's a part of your life. Also, I think you can probably find the importance of prayer in your life about how you pray, about how you pray. Because you see, some people, um, it's, it's a need-based prayer life, and, and some, it's a relationship-based prayer life. Sometimes our prayer life is, okay, God, here's a skinny, uh, you know, first off, thank you for being God, but really, here's my list. And, and we start giving God this huge list of what we want out of him that particular day. And I guess that has its place. I'm not arguing that point, but, but that's kind of what our prayer life can become. But I really believe if you look at what Jesus teaches from this without having me to stretch it and make it say what I think. You know, sometimes we preachers do that. We'll find one word and make it mean 28 things that we want to say. You know, without even having to do that, if you really look at the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, the disciples' prayer. In fact, by the way, freebie, it's not the Lord's Prayer because Jesus never prayed this prayer. You know why I know he didn't pray this prayer? Because in this prayer, we ask forgiveness and Jesus never sinned. So this was a model prayer. It's a teaching outline for those of you who are teachers. It's a guide. It's a model on how we're supposed to pray. You might want to call it the disciples' prayer. But, but it's, it's a guideline, a teaching for us and how we should communicate. And if you'll look at this, it's really relationship-based. Now, I know you don't really probably care, but I want to tell you what I think. This is me. I think prayer is very important. I really do. I really do. I know, like I say, some of y'all go, well, that's pretty arrogant, Pastor. Like, like you know, I know you're the preacher and everything, but like, we can't. Well, let me tell you, before you get the rocks out and throw them in and say, well, it's not about you and all that stuff, let me just tell you why I think that. I, I discovered, in my, in my Jesus journey, I discovered something. I, I already confessed to you about three months ago that in my early pastorate days, man, if I hit prayer besides like God is great, God is good, if I hit prayer four days a week, I was doing pretty good. And as I journeyed along, I started learning some things. Besides the ability to stand up and talk in front of people, that there's other things about, well, being a believer. And so I've learned that the days that I miss prayer, I go south. Now, it's really funny. Let me, now, just listen to my heart. Listen to my heart. Again, I, you need to know that I, what I'm trying to teach you today is something that's impactful in my life. You don't need a preacher who's going to stand up talking about grace and then doesn't forgive people. You don't need a pastor who's going to stand up and tell you all to pray, and I ain't prayed in five days. 
You need someone who's going to talk to you today about who's halfway practicing or trying to practice what the Word of God says here. Would you say amen to that? So, so here's what I know. Um, you know, I do probably seven days a week. I, I mean, I'm not saying I miss a day. I don't miss a day. But seven days a week, me and God get together. Now, in, in that getting together, we have a time in the Word. I spend time reading the Word of God, hopefully meditating on the Word of God, remembering what I read in the Word of God that day. That kind of occurs in my life. And that's cool. You ought to read the Word of God. Amen? You ought to read your Bible. But here's what I know. Sometimes if there's an early surgery or something, or sometimes I'll get sidelined, and it's probably once every two weeks, three weeks maybe, I will forget to pray. And on the days when I read my Bible and then get in a hurry, get out of the chair and move on my path, look at me. My day goes south. Not a little. A lot. I'm not as nice. I'm not as obedient. I'm not as caring. I'm not as merciful. I'm not as disciplined. I can just, look, look at me. I'm just telling you the truth. When I miss my prayer time, my day goes south. You need to know that. You need to not know that my day goes south, but maybe it teaches the priority of why we ought to pray because maybe you're struggling. Well, that's me, Dwayne. You know, I wrestle with this. It could be that maybe you need a stricter discipline in your prayer life and not just the needs-based prayer life, but a relationship-based. Yeah, come on. I mean, listen, if you, if you, if you know anything... How good a marriage are you going to have if your communication with your wife is strictly needs-based? Like, I need some underwear. Wash clothes. What's for supper? I can hear groans across the building. You know, what are we doing tonight? Where do you want to eat? You know, that's communication, but simply needs-based. If you want a fruitful and hearty marriage, you've got somehow to get beyond needs-based to relationship-based. Those three words, I love you. <laughs> three more important words, I am sorry. <laughs> you know, those kind of things. When, when, we, when that happens, the relationship deepens, it becomes more meaningful, and it really impacts your marriage. So we want to look today then at the priority of, of prayer. Now, it's really cool because in Luke chapter 11, verse number 1, here's what the Lord Jesus, here's what Luke writes. Luke, by the way, was a doctor. Um, he was a Gentile, and he wrote his gospel by interviewing people, and that's how the gospel, his gospel, his account of the gospel, was compiled, was put together, was by interviewing people. So Dr. Luke says these words. Now, it came to pass as he was praying. Pause and time out. It's very interesting that Jesus was a man of prayer. Very interesting. Now, you would think of all the people who probably didn't need to pray, it would be the Son of God. It would be the guy who said, you know, and I don't mean that irreverently, that would, it would be the man, the Bible says, all things were created by him and nothing was not created by him. You would think if anybody had this direct line to the Father, who needs to pray? But amazingly, it, I mean, just a casual glance, 
you will see that Jesus Christ was a man of prayer. In fact, nine times, including this one, nine times in the Gospel of Luke, we find you know, Luke recording that Jesus went out and prayed. Jesus prayed all night. Jesus got alone by himself. Jesus said you need to pray. Over and over again, we see in the Gospel of Luke alone, over and over again, Jesus was a man of prayer. So certainly, prayer was a priority in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll say this. If you will look at prayer in Jesus' life, you'll see it's very much relation-based. You'll see that he talked to his father as father. As father. It was relationship-based. So over and over again, he prays, and he's out praying this time in a certain place. And when he had stopped, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples to pray. So, so Jesus' disciples had seen John's disciples, and their teacher had taught them to pray. And so they look, and they see Jesus praying. Your kids ought to see you pray. Your kids ought to see you pray. Wouldn't hurt if your wife saw you pray or your husband saw you pray. Okay? So they see him praying, and they say, Lord, you know, John taught his disciples, would you teach us to pray? Which, by the way, implies they didn't know it all. They realized that, wait a minute, maybe there's something we can learn about prayer. And I hope that's your, your attitude today. That whether you're a Sunday school teacher or a deacon or you've been a Christian all your life, say, God, maybe there's something we can learn today. Lord, teach me to pray. And so amazingly, not amazingly really, Jesus says, okay, when you pray, say. Now, again, this is not rote. This is not, these are not magic words. These are not words that, that okay, you, if you'll pray exactly this, you'll get it right. This is, a, this is a teaching syllabus. This is a path. This is a guide. This is a model. And so Jesus said, okay, well, listen, when you pray, it should look something like this. And then he launches into his prayer. Now, so we see the priority of prayer. Now, look what we see the relationship in prayer. Here's what he says. What, four, four words? Our Father in heaven. Now, again, I think if you've got like the ESV, it probably just says Father. Again, the compilation of, of Matthew and, and Luke together. Our Father in heaven. Let's look first off at that word Father. This, was, this is so revolutionary. I think it's 14 times in the Old Testament the word Father is used for God by the Jewish people. I mean, it's, and even then, it's a real distant, it's not that intimate father, it's a distant thing. The Jew just didn't call God Father. And then Jesus comes along and says, well, when you pray, pray this way, pray like this, our Father. Now, this, this is one of the things that I went, really? So I was studying, and I under, if I understand, no, no, I what it said. You remember in Romans where we talk about, where Paul talks about Abba, Father? And we talk about that, that that word means, it's, it's, not, it's not even, I backed away from the daddy thing. It's the closest thing in the English language, but I think I got something better today. But it's like, like it's an intimate, intimate term for God. Well, we got that in Romans. We said, isn't that cool that Paul taught off that that was good, that, that we could call God Father in, in an intimate and personal way? What I didn't realize was, is that the same Greek word, virtually every time when Jesus prays, including this time, when he says that word, Father, 
It's that word. So, so the, one of the commentaries, I like this. One of the commentaries helped me because, again, I just, I, I like the idea of daddy, but I just didn't feel comfortable with daddy. And, and Tyler, when you were singing, it came to my mind because you said, you know, dear gentle savior. Here's, here's what the commentary translated that word as. Dearest father. You, you, get the, you get the respect of father and you get the intimacy of dearest. So when, so when Jesus prayed, with the exception of the cross, when he cried out and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Jesus' prayer life, he had this intimate term that he used. Now, y'all need to be writing this down. He had this intimate term that he used and addressed his father, and it was dearest father. And guys, that's who he is. He is our dearest father. The Jews couldn't understand that. Again, based on their Old Testament theology, they could not see God as that approachable. They couldn't see God that way. But grace changed all that. Grace changed all that. All of a sudden, this holy, magnificent God that we can't even get our arms around, all of a sudden, He's approachable. I love it. I love it. I love it. Jesus dies on the cross. And the Bible says, when He cries out, it is finished, that the curtain that was some five to six inches thick was ripped in two, top from bottom. Opening up the the curtain that separated the holy from the holy of holies. The presence of God. That curtain was ripped in two. It's like God hung out the welcome sign and saying, now by grace, I am approachable. You need to understand that if you are a Christ follower, that is the relationship that you have with God your Father. I know some of you have very unpleasant memories about your dad Either he was deserting you or, or whether he was abusing you or he was a stern man who never said, I love you. Would you please separate those visions of father and embrace the biblical portrait of father, dearest father? That's who. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's who he is, guys. That's who he is. So, so Jesus says that when we pray, we're to say this, this Abba, this dearest father. And, and again... In heaven, our Father in heaven shows the respect. Shows the respect that we should have. He is in heaven. I'll mention this probably one more time, but let me just throw it in here real quick. In this age of grace, we, if we're not careful, we have a tendency to be very loose with the name of God. You know, we should not. There is a familiarity that we're allowed by grace... But you understand still that He is God Father. Don't lose track of that. He is God Father. He is worthy and demanding of our respect. And that kind of ties in with the term surrender. You know, again, I know some of you call dad by your first, you know, your, your father by his first name. And, you know, he's my best friend. He's my buddy. And that's all cool. But I'm just telling you that when you have dearest father, there's a level of respect because he's holy God that should not. Be breached. And then he begins this verse with this word, our, O-U-R, our. Now, very important. We have Father, dearest Father, a term that Jesus used throughout his prayer life. And he wants us to embrace because he wants us to understand that when we come to, to God, we come as dearest Father. Remember, though, he's in heaven and there's a certain edge of respect there that we should not and must not lose. 
But there's also relationships here. Notice the plural pronoun, our Father, our daily bread. We see it throughout because family is very important to God. Our relationship with Him, and by the way, again, forgive me, I'm not chasing rabbits, but these are very important things that we can't let go. Understand that if God's not your Father, this prayer is not for you. If, you're, if you've never experienced God's grace today, this is not your prayer. But you know what? Today, God can become your Father. At the end of this service, I'm going to have that guy standing right down here. And his sole purpose is when you come forward and say, I want to know how I can call God dearest Father. And we'll show you what the Word of God says about that. But this is a prayer for believers. So, so he says, dearest Father, respect our, our family. I said last week, I think, the things that are important to God should be important to us. The thing that God loves, we should love. The things that God hates, we should hate. And family is just so important to God. Our relationships as believers in Christ is huge. It really, you know, we've been talking about in Sunday school, what breaks my heart? It breaks my heart when I do it, and it breaks my heart when you do it. When we as a family of God, and I hear this attack on another believer... I hear unkind words. I I hear harshness. I hear unforgiveness in the family of God. I guess if there's anything that breaks my heart as a pastor and in my own life, it's that. It's that. When there's piranhaism. When there's piranhaism in the church of God. You know, listen to what Jesus said. And you're familiar with these scriptures. Listen to John 13. A new commandment I give to you. This is Jesus. That you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Wow. Hours before the cross, hours before dying. And here's what Jesus says I'm fixing to die, and this is really important to me. Love each other. Love each other. Be an aura. Be in the family. Understand we're one in Christ. And then he goes on and says these words By this, by this. By this, all things, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this, the whole world's going to know you are my disciples. Not by the way we dress, not by the lingo we use, not by the, how big our crowd, not by how pretty our building, not how high our steeple. But the world's going to know we are Christ followers by our love. It's huge. And it was important to Christ, our Father. Church Family, body of Christ, our Father. He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 through 24, Therefore you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Why? Because relationships are important. I want to be very candid. If you're at odds with your husband today, if you're at odds with your husband today, Y'all need to go home and make that right. If you're at odds with your wife today, you need to go home and make that right. If you're angry at your kids today, you need to go home and make that right. If there's someone in this room you can't speak to, when you see them coming out in the hallway, all of a sudden you've got urge to go to the kitchen, you need to make that right. Not because the pastor said so, but because God said so. And that, dear brothers and sisters, is nothing short of what? Surrender. Surrender. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
I love how David picked up today, and I'm sure it was intentional. He picked up on those key phrases, hallowed, holy, set apart is your name. The, the name of, you know, most names, I was reading this somewhere like even yesterday, and I'm not even sure why or how I came upon it, but, but most names have meaning. Like I didn't know this, but I found my name, Dwayne, means pecan eater. You don't believe that, don't you? <laughs> I can tell you don't. No, I don't think it has to be. I really don't. But anyway, but, but names have association. And with the Jewish culture, particularly, names were associated with character. And God's name is to be hallowed. It is to be set apart because it is holy. And let me just say it one more time. We need to guard and protect the name of Christ. You know, I'm going to tell you if you want me to get change the channel on television, just use names God's name in an irreverent way. If, if you want to, if you want to see Dwayne, if you want to see if your pastor, when does the pastor change the channel? I mean, there are other things, believe me. But but when that name is used in an irreverent way, the channel button's right there. We should protect in conversations. You know, when when God's name is being abused, there are times we just need to speak up. We say, you know, I know you got, you know. Perhaps it's not mean anything to you, but it means to me. And we need to guard and honor God's name. And believe me, in this society we live in, it is thrown around like cotton candy. We really need to guard that name. Why? Because it's hallowed. It's set apart. It's holy. Now, obviously that involves worship. Prayer, relationship, worship, relationship, prayer should involve worship. So after we say, our Father in heaven, we worship you. Now, again, I'm really watching the clock because we're not there yet. And I want to be very careful. Don't want to chase bunnies. But I did bring a, an event today. I want you to see this. Because you may say, why is, why is worship important in prayer? Because worship makes God big. Now, watch this. You know, if you'll give me about one minute here. Um, this is not very big, as you can see. Um, I told someone it's really scary when the pastor brings a mattress to church. It could be a long sermon. But if you'll watch real quick. Aren't you glad it's a fast pump? Now, a moment ago, this was a small rolled up piece of plastic. But when air was inserted into the mattress, what happened? It got big, didn't it? Come on, did it get big? Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Listen, when we pray and when we worship in our prayer, your problems, your situations get smaller and our God gets bigger. That's what worship does. See, we want to bypass that. We want to get right to, hey, God, here you go. We need to pause and let God be God in our prayer. Take the time. You don't have to worship for 25 minutes, but just spend a few minutes telling God how great he is. He likes that. By the way, guys, your wives do too. But God loves it when we worship him. So hallowed is thy name. Now, we've got to move on because you know, when we get to this, this, this prayer this, of yielding, this yielded part in the why, it's huge. Look what it says. 
Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Now what that is, that's a statement of faith. It's looking forward to the time when Jesus will reign on this earth in full control. He, the Bible describes in the book of Revelation that he will rule with an iron fist. So it's a prayer of faith saying, God, we look forward to the time when you will make it right. When you will bring about the conclusion of the story. When you will bring about the end of the story. And Jesus Christ will reign on this earth in a time in the future as King of kings and Lord of lords. Your kingdom come. Really, when you say the kingdom of God, it's the rule of God. It's the sovereign reign of God. It's the authority of God. And so when we say, your kingdom come, we're saying, God, we're looking forward to a time when you're going to make it right. And by the way, he will. He will. Don't you get stuck on this world, because as a Christ follower, there's a better world coming. He will make it right, because his reign and his rule. But here's something very, very practical. When it says, your kingdom come, The best, the smallest and yet best application of kingdom coming is the throne of your heart. It's when you surrender and say, God, your kingdom come in my life. God, you are king and I am not. God, you are God and I am not. And God, I surrender my life to you. I surrender my life to your will. Your kingdom come. Yes, in the future. But God, here. Now, have you figured something out? Some of you wrestle with people. And here's the deal. You want to, you want to be on the throne, or you want God to be on the throne of their life, and you're telling God, God this, and God this, and God that about that person, that person, that person. And the only one you can control is you. That's it. You can't control me. You can't control the deacons. You can't control your wife. You can't control your husband. But what you can do is control your heart or allow God to control your heart. And guess what? When God controls your heart, it changes things. You see people differently. We're going to talk about this. You see people differently. You see circumstances differently. You handle circumstances differently. It changes everything. So when he says, now you ought to pray, your kingdom come. You're saying, hey, God, get on the throne. I don't deserve it. I don't need to be on it. You need to be on it. And then more practically says this. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hey God, your deal, not mine. Your thing, not mine. Hey God, I acknowledge that there's a real strong possibility that you're a lot wiser than I am. So God, your will be done. And oh, if we had time, we could spend probably two hours on this. It's Jesus in the garden. Facing the cross, what he was destined, what he was created, what he was birthed to do. And he goes, Lord, if there's any way this can pass from me, let it pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. If prayer involves surrender, it involves us saying, God, you come in and rule. Now listen, somebody here needs to hear this. You've been trying to run your life too long. You got Jesus as Savior, but you have butted and butted up against God because God wants control and you won't give it. It may be your pocketbook. It may be your calendar. It may be your parenting skills. It may be your relationships on the job. But you are hitting God because you want to control. Today's the day of surrender. Lay it down. Lay it down. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
God, let your will be done here as it is there. And, and we don't want, you know what we want? God, I want your will done here or there as it is here. God, I want, I want my will done. And if you want to conform heaven, that's fine. That's not what it says. It says, God, I want what's done there, done here. And then quickly, give us this day our daily bread. That's dependence. God, I want you to rule on my throne in my life. Your kingdom, come. I want your will done just like you do it in heaven. That's what I want in my life. That, in fact, that's what I pray for our church. That's what I pray for my children. That's what I pray um, for our pastors and deacons. God, as your will for them is done in heaven, we want it done in their lives. That's what we want. And God, we need you. Give us this day our daily bread. There's a dependence there, God. And you know what he's referencing. You, you probably know the story back when the children of Israel were in the, in the wilderness. And God said, here's the deal. I'm going to give you heavenly bread. And here's the deal. Uh, every day you're to go out and get one day's worth. Except for on the day before the Sabbath. On, on Friday you're to go out and get two days worth. So you don't have to pick it up on Saturday. Why didn't God just say, anytime you won't go out? Why, why didn't God just say, pick up a month's worth? You know why? Now listen. He wanted the people of Israel, children of Israel, to depend on him day by day by day by day. And do you know what God wants for us? To depend on him. Can you say it? Day by day by day by day. And listen, here's the danger. Now you know what I'm fixing to say. I think that's the danger of America. Because most of us have enough money in the bank. We have enough good health insurance where we're okay. And if somehow the emergency goes beyond what we can control with our money or with our time, then all of a sudden we're, in, we're on board with prayer. Mm-mm. Day by day by day by day. Because I'm going to tell you something about money. It's a great tool. But money can't buy you health. You, we just got word that, that Christy Smith um, is on her way to the emergency room and it does not look good. It does not look good. You take a dying man dying in his last breath with cancer. If he had all the money in the world, he would trade all the money in the world. Because money can't buy life. And by the way, it can't buy happiness either. Dependence. I need you, God. I need you, God. I need you, God. A yielding to him. And then quickly, experience. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Let me read to you the definition of experience. The accumulation of knowledge or skill that results from direct participation in events and activities. May I read it one more time? And I'll even slow down. The accumulation of knowledge or skill that results from direct participation in events or activities. First off, we are grace experiencers. Forgive us our sins. If you are a Christ follower today, you are a product of God's grace. You didn't earn it. 
You did not earn his forgiveness. You did not earn his favor. You are a product of God's grace. What you did was you believed what God said about his son Jesus Christ. You turned away from that lifestyle, that sin, and you chose to follow Jesus. You experienced God's grace. Can I have an amen? Now, that's important. You heard it today sometime, Sunday school or somewhere. We heard that, you know, that, that we're taught grace or we're taught church, but we just didn't in its very beginning, that, that we didn't experience grace. We didn't get grace taught to us. We are a product of God's grace. We have experienced grace. We struggle with that. We really struggle with this. Grace experiencers should become grace extenders. Let me say it again. Grace experiencers, those who have experienced grace, should extend grace. I am amazed at the number of people who say, believe in grace, believe in grace, believe in grace. But they're angry, they're mad, they won't forgive, they don't like this, they're mad about this, mad about that. My goodness sake, friend, if you have experienced grace, extend grace. What did God do to us? I think Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says, As Christ has forgiven you, forgive one another. As God has extended grace to you. This could change marriages. This could bring wayward teenagers home. This could change your work environment. This could change your life where you are. As you have have experienced grace, extend grace. Now, that's not just good advice. That's Bible. And that changes everything. Experience. Forgive us our sins, but but also, God, as we are going to forgive others. Lord, we've experienced grace. Help us to extend grace. And finally, reliance. And do not lead us into temptation. In fact, probably the better in the Greek structure would be, and God lead us away from temptation. But the word temptation there is closer to the word trial. And this is probably a beautiful picture of what Jesus is going to pray not too far down the road in his own life. Just, just, just days. Again, I already referenced it today. In the garden. Now, God, if there is any way that I can avoid the cross... If there's any way I can avoid the cross, please. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. There's nothing wrong with praying, God, if I can avoid the death of this loved one. In other words, if you'd heal my loved one. There ain't no wrong with that prayer. God, if, if you would, you know, Father, my, my child in our relationship, Father, if you'd heal that. No wrong with that prayer. Over and over again. Nothing wrong with the way we pray unless we say it's my way or the highway. But Jesus didn't do that, did he? He said, if you can deliver me from this trial, if you would heal my loved one. But God, I may not understand it. I may not even like it. But your will be done, not mine. Lord, lead us away from trials. Now, sometimes, does God put us through trials? Could we write a book? But you know what? Just take this home as a freebie. In my life, and I bet it's true in your life, often through the difficult times, it's when I learn. I don't learn through the good times. I learn through the times I really have to lean on God because 
my feet are knocked out from beneath me, or I don't know the next step. It's in your lane. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us or protect us from the evil one. Lead us or protect us from the evil one. And again, the exclamation point for thine is the power and the glory. Some translations is not there. Some of the later trans, uh, uh, versions of it is not there. You can put that exclamation point on there. That's cool. That's great. Because he's sure, he's sure worthy, isn't he? But let me ask you a question. If we, if we are beginning to understand, and I know we're just, just a little bit down the journey, but if we're beginning to understand the importance of that white flag, that we surrender, not to a person, but if we surrender to God, and, and the person of Christ, if that makes you feel better. If we, if we understand that surrender is important, and if we understand, if, you, you know, if we grasp this, that just perhaps prayer is more about relationship and surrender than it is giving God a list to check off. All of a sudden, we start understanding the terms are sur- of surrender. The terms of following Jesus are unconditional. Unconditional surrender. And they are non-negotiable. Some of you spend way too much time on your knees trying to negotiate with God. These terms are non-negotiable and unconditional. But I believe, and I think I'm not by myself, that we serve an awesome God. That's, we, we trust Him. We can trust Him. So my bottom line is this. Can you call God Father? Now some of you... And this, a crowd, this is a great crowd this morning. And we're still on the radio. So maybe on the radio there's someone out there and you're kind of interested in God and you've heard about God and God this and God that. But, but you, you know what? You go, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. I never understood that what Jesus did on the cross is how you become a Christ follower, how you have eternal life. I didn't understand that. I thought if you went to church or if you got baptized or if you did enough good stuff, there's that giant scale. <coughs> Excuse me. I didn't understand that it's all about what Jesus did. And, and today, I would like to be able to call God dearest Father. And for those of you in the room, the big room today, my friend Brent will be standing down front. And again, you won't have all the answers. But you will be able to embrace the undeniable. That Jesus is the Son of God. That He died. That He resurrected. And that He's King of kings and Lord of lords. So we'd like to invite you in just a moment to come and take Brent by the hand and say, Okay, I won't be able to call God dearest Father. And we'll take the Word of God and show you how that can happen and what that means in your life. For the rest of us who are Christ followers, are you willing to take up that flag? Are you willing for the first time to take that first step and say, God, I surrender? And and then you might want to say, and God, I know me. And by the time I get to the front door, I might want to take the flag back. So I'll need you. So God, if it happens at the front door, would you just remind me to surrender again? And God, if I get up tomorrow morning, and and God, would you help me surrender then? And God, there's nothing wrong with that. But are you willing today to take the first step and say, God, I surrender. My marriage, my kids, my life, my time, my calendar. I surrender. I surrender. I'm telling you, That is a giant step forward in your journey of faith with Jesus Christ. I pray you'll do that. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you very, very much.
for the privilege that we had today of sharing your word. And I pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit now will take whatever came out of this mouth, this vessel. Father, will make it make sense in the hearts and minds of people. God, I thank you that you're just an incredible God. And you are waiting for us to surrender ourselves to you. Father, I pray you will radically transform our prayer life. Father, from the teachings, Jesus, from the very words that you spoke those 2,000 years ago. Father, for my friend here who has never been able to call you dearest father because there's not a relationship. There's not a relationship. I pray you would draw them to yourself today and give them the courage to say, God, I want to call you dearest father. And by faith, believe in what Jesus Christ has done. And by faith, turning from the path they're now walking and begin to walking and following Jesus Christ. So have your way in this room and this place. And Jesus, I ask this in your name. Amen.